Okay, uh, we're learning tonight. Le'iloi Nishmas, father of our good friend Chaim Cohen, of Avram HaKohen Ben Chaim. Um, Chaim has been a very good friend of myself and the whole shul, very close with him. He's uh, Ben Aliyah, the whole mishpacha, and uh, is here in the honor of the yard site. And his father-in-law should be uh, Eloi Nishmas, and uh, the Neshama Shev and Aliyah should be a Melis Yosha for your whole family. Shem Nacha, Simcha, Parnas, Berevach, Ma'ale Hashem, Komashale, Slibcha, Latoiva. Also, we're learning Eloi Nishmas, Idit Bat Lilian, Shama Shev and Aliyah. The Radvaz, Rab David Ibn Avi Zimra, was uh, born in Spain in the year 1480. At the age of 12 years old, his family is chased out of Spain. They make their way to Yerushalayim, uh, first to Tzfas, then to Yerushalayim. Then he goes to Cairo. He goes to Egypt, where he establishes a major yeshiva. He, he heads the yeshiva for 40 years. This yeshiva produces some of the greatest all-time Gedola Yisrael, the Shita Mikubetzas. The Arizal is a Talmud of the Radvaz, is a student of the Radvaz. But, one of the Radvaz's greatest contributions to our people is that he published, he wrote, and it was later published more than 2,400 chuvot, more than 2,400 responsa, halachic responsa. The Radvaz is uh, known to have made a very, uh, very important takana, very interesting. In the times of the Rambam, the Rambam saw that because people were davening the silent Shmona Esrei, the regular Shmona Esrei, when it came time to Chazar Sashatz, to repeat the Shmona Esrei, people were not paying attention. People were talking. So the Rambam said, well, if people are thinking that they already davened and there's no need for the repetition of the Shmona Esrei, the Rambam abolished the silent Shmona Esrei. In the Rambam Shul, they just had Chazar Sashatz. There was no silent Shmona Esrei. And that was continued until the times of the Radvaz. The Radvaz brought back, brought back the Sound Shmon Eser. And the Radvaz asks a very important question. And that is, coming to the Yom Tov of Pesach, and we know on Pesach we don't eat chametz. So everybody knows on Pesach we don't eat chametz. But yet, the Isser of chametz, the prohibition of chametz, is different than any other prohibition in the whole Torah. In what way? Number one, chametz, it's not enough that you're not allowed to eat the chametz. You need to search for the chametz. Okay? You have to look. You have to search your house. You have to take a candle and look for the chametz. Not enough not to eat it. You need to look for it. And not only that, it's not just you could... You don't just have to do a general search for the chametz. You need to look in the nooks and the crannies and the little corners and... Right? Get under... Take out your flashlight. Search under your bed. Right? Check the drawers. You've got to look everywhere for the chametz. Not only that... Not only that... Let's say whatever you don't find, or whatever you do, you're mevatelet. What does that mean, you're mevatelet? You nullify it. You say, this is ownerless. I have nothing. This is hefker uka'afradara. It's ownerless. I have, not mine. I, I don't have any uh, need for this. I render it completely ownerless. Not only that, whatever chametz you find, you burn it. You burn it. So what, what, what is it with chametz? It's so... Let's say, let's say chazir, let's say eating a pig. You ever hear a, a halacha that if somebody, a, a non-Jew came into your house, you, have a, you call in a, your, a plumber, he comes, he comes in with a, a, a treif sandwich, 
and you're afraid maybe he tracks some pig into your house. There's no mitzvah you have to get down on your hands and knees and look with a, a candle. Maybe there's some pig in your house. Well, why is this? And the Torah not only says you're not to eat it, you have to search for it, you have to search in the nooks and crannies. You need to be mevatel, you render it ownerless, and then you have to burn it? I mean, it's like we have this all-out campaign against chametz. It's like an artillery war against chametz. And not only that, what's the halacha? You know, you're, you're, uh, you come to uh, Cholomite, you go on a Cholomite outing, and there's a big picnic table, and there's a non-Jew eating chametz on... Uh, that end of the table. Are you allowed to eat your matzah and cream cheese sandwich on that end of the table? No. No. What if you have a non-Jew on a regular day eating uh, a piece of pig on that end of the table? You could eat your sandwich right next to him. Right next to him. What's the difference? Because if the guy's eating pig, what are we worried about? A wind's going to come and blow a crumb of his sandwich into your food? Doesn't matter. It will be bato v'shishim. Which means if you have 60 times the amount of kosher food, more than his tray food, it becomes nullified, it becomes like it's negligible, it's not there. But when it comes to chametz, if even a tiny crumb of chametz falls in, falls in to your matzah, it's all, it's all gone. That's the end of it. Let's say you're cooking a pot. The pot contains like the size of a mikvah, 40 saw of water, a big pot of chicken soup up to the, up to the roof. And a little crumb falls in, take the pot, you throw it out. It's not even batal ba'elef. A drop of chametz does not even nullify it in a thousand. Now, by the way, this is only on Pesach. Before Pesach, that's why uh, there are more leniencies when things happen before Pesach. We try to cash everything before Pesach. Before Pesach, things, chametz is nullified in 60. It's on Pesach, it's not even nullified in a thousand. So what, chametz is worse than eating pig? When it comes to pig, if, if somebody drops a, a crumb of pig into your chicken soup, you eat it. It's, it's like it's not there. Someone drops a crumb of chametz into a big pot of chicken, the whole thing is gone. It costs $10,000, doesn't matter. You throw it out. It's, it's chametz. It's chametz. So why is the Torah so strict with chametz? More than any other love. Here the Torah says, you need to search for it. You need to get down on your hands and knees into the corners and look for it. You need to burn it. Not only that, you're not allowed to own it. You're not allowed to see it. You're not allowed to find it. Altogether, you have seven stringencies by chametz, seven chumrot by chametz that you don't have any by any other lav in the Torah. By, you ever even idol worship? Let's say somebody has an idol, so maybe you have to destroy it. But if you don't know where it is, you don't have to like get down on your hands and knees and look for it. You don't have to take out a candle and you know with a little feather search scraping for it. And it, it, it's bottle if it falls into... Why is chametz so much more strict than any other prohibition in the whole Torah? So the Radvaz is searching for an answer. He, wants, he, he has a few suggestions. He says, well, maybe because since if you eat chametz, you're liable to kares, right? Kares. So the Torah wants you to stay away from it. So he says, that's not the reason. There are many things you have kares for. Somebody who eats dam, blood... Someone who eats chalev, certain fasts, you're also chayv kares. But there's no mitzvah that, that once a year you search your house for dam and chalev. Or, so the Radvaz says like this, he says, I can't find an answer. So you need to say the following. And that is like this. Radvaz says that chametz is symbolic of something. 
What is it symbolic of? If you take a look at your sheets, number six, the Gemara Brachos tells us that there was a, an Amora by the name of Rav Alexandri. Okay? And he says, the Gemara says that Rav Alexandri would offer the following prayer. He said like this, when he would finish Shmon Esrei, Rav Alexandri busted the Matzli. After he would finish Shmon Esrei, Amar Hachi, he said the following, Ribon Ho'olamim, Master of the World, it is revealed and known before you. It is our will to do your will. Okay? Every Jew knows deep down the will of the Jew is that it's our will to do the will of Hashem. So new, very nice. So why don't we? <laughs> if it's our will to do His will, why don't we? Says Rebbe Alexandri, what's stopping us? The yeast in the dough. Veshibud Malchios and the government. Very interesting. You hear what Rabbi Alexandri is saying? He's saying, really, Hashem, deep down in the deepest recesses of the heart of the Jew, they want to do the will of God. So what's stopping him? The yeast in the dough and the government. Now the government means like this. You live in a country, the ideals of the country, the values of the country, the attitudes of the country are antithetical to the Torah. So that has an influence on a person, and it brings a person away from Hashem, right? You go on the bus, you walk down the streets, you're bombarded with all kinds of messages that are antithetical to the Torah, that are against the Torah, and it influences a person, it brings a person away from the Torah. That's what it means, the government. In other words, yes? Okay, um, is it a, so the, the, why, did, why do we go to work? Why, do, why is it like, uh, why can't we just work at home? You know, like, uh, why put ourselves in that? If we know we're going to be going to the subway every single day, and we're going to see those people, why do we put ourselves in that same position each time? Look, I mean, look if, you know, if, uh, if you could avoid it, if you're able to bring in the dough from home, so call it kavod, then uh, all the honor to you. But, you know, it's considered a reasonable form of... Uh, Hishtadlut, a reasonable, a reasonable effort to make a living, to have to uh, travel, and uh, but you have to be able to discipline yourself to do it in the in the proper way. But as much as you could avoid it, so kolakavod. But what does? Yeah. I can't help it, but I have to say this. Yeah. Our ancestors who were shepherds. It's difficult to have that animals in the apartment. <laughs> I hear. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But what does the Gemara mean? What does the Gemara mean? That umima akev. What stops us from serving Hashem? Saar shebeisa. The yeast in the dough. The yeast in the dough. What? Eating a donut stops you. Eating bread stops you. Symbol. Ah. What does Rashi say? Very good, Chaim. Rashi says, "What's the yeast in the dough? It's a symbol of the Yitzhahara. The Yitzhahara is called yeast. The Yitzhahara is called the yeast of the dough." Rashi says, "Why?" Yetzer, look at number seven. Yetzer hara shebelavavenu him chamitzenu. The yetzer in our heart makes our heart go sour. What does that mean? Here you have a nice flat pancake of matzah. It's a humble matzah. It's a modest matzah, right? Minds its own business. Doesn't make a big deal out of itself. It's it's happy with what it has. Then you put some yeast in. You puffs up, you know. I'm a somebody, I'm a something, I'm entitled to this, I deserve this, I desire this, 
The yeast inflames the dough, it puffs up the dough. That's what the Yitzhahara does. All of our, or at least Igmar is saying, a major part of our sins come from the Yitzhahara. What does the Yitzhahara do? Well, why do we sin? Who do you think you are to say that to me, to do that to me, not to give me this, to treat me like this? I deserve to eat this, to wear this, to have this. Right? That's, the, that's why we sin. It's me, me, me. That's the, it's, it's the yeast in the dough. So the Yitzhahara is represented by the yeast. The Yitzhahara is our mortal enemy. The Yitzhah, the Gemara, the Chobos HaVavos tells us. Look at number nine. V'husha Omar ben Adam. I say, man, look at number nine. Roy l'chaladas. It is worthy for you to know. Ki your greatest enemy in the world, who Yitzrucha is your Yitzhahara. Right? If I were to ask you, who's your greatest enemy in the world? Who's your greatest enemy? Some people would say their boss, their mother-in-law maybe. I don't know, who's it? Right? Who's the, Yitzhah, who's the greatest enemy? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> who's it? Says the Chavos Havos. No, they're not the greatest. There's somebody even greater. Who is that? The Yitzhahara. The Chavos Havos tells us the story about there was a, a man who was returning from war with all the spoils of war and he sees a wise man and the wise man says, where are you coming from? He said, I just came back victorious from battle. The wise man said, no, you came back from the small war. Now you're about to face the great war. What are you talking about? I just faced the great war. No, now you're about to face the war of the Yetzirah. He's the greatest enemy we have. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slack. He doesn't, he's not lazy. He's not distracted. He has one goal in life, to get us to sin. What symbolizes the Yetzirah? Chametz. You want to know why the Torah has an all-out assault against chametz? That you have to search for it in the cracks, you have to burn it, you have to nullify it, you can't own it, you can't, it doesn't even nullify it in a thousand. Why? Because it's our greatest enemy, it represents the Yitzhahara, there is nothing in life worse than the Yitzhahara, and therefore, worse than idolatry, worse than blood, worse than the fats of non-kosher animals, worse than the pig, the Yitzhahara. Therefore, no chametz on Pesach. That's altogether getting what the, the, being puffed up. Okay, right. That's a, that arrogance is a major uh, contributor to all sin. But Ruvain's asking a very good question. Now that we've really na- nailed the, the, we've knocked the nail on the head, we really, we've really exaggerated the point of how bad the Yitzhahara is, right? So we should never, we should never eat chametz. There's a story about some, uh, I don't know that they tried to uh, imbibe the Yitzhahara from the world. And what happened, the... Stop the Very good. Eggs and okay, we're going to come to that. Okay, yeah. but the question we need to address now is that if the reason here the Radvaz is telling us that the reason why chametz is more strict than pig, than fat, than blood, than idolatry is because it represents the Sahara. So then you ever hear? You know, only on Shabbos we don't eat the only Shabbos we don't eat pig. No, of course not. That's that's you know a different brand of Judaism. That's not authentic Judaism. So. Why, if chametz is so terrible that it represents the Yitzhahara, we should not be allowed to eat 
chametz the whole year. By the way, the Chida says something incredible. The Gemara in Sukkah tells us, on Dafnun Beis, the Yitzhahara has seven names. Seven names. Right? What are they? Not Jim, Paul. What are his seven names? His seven names are Ra. Hashem calls him Ra. Moshe calls him Arel. David called him Tamei. Okay? The Gemara says he has other, he has the name Michshol, Evan, Tifoni. He has seven names. Says the Chidah, if you look at the prohibitions of Chametz, there are seven prohibitions of Chametz. You have to search for it, you have to look for it in the nooks and crannies, you have to burn it, you have to nullify it. It's not even butel in a thousand. You're not allowed to see it, you're not allowed to own it. Why? Because since the Yitzhar has seven names, which means he has seven like techniques to get us to sin, so each one of these hachakot, each one of these seven ways that we distance ourselves from Chametz are... The, we're distance, distancing ourselves from all aspects of Yitzhahara. But the question then is, why are we allowed to have chametz the whole year? And Baruch Hashem, you've made it here tonight. What we're going to hear now is something so incredible, something so amazing, it's really, it's a diamond. And the source of it is the Arizal. The source of it is the Arizal. Let's think for a moment, when did the Bnei Yisrael leave Mitzrayim? What season? Spring. Spring. It's not a small thing that we left in spring. It has great significance. What's spring? Well, spring follows the winter. In the winter, all of the plants die, all the trees die, the animals go into hibernation, the world is dead! And what happens in spring? The world is reborn. The flowers blossom, the trees bloom, right? the animals wake up. The world is born! That represented the Jewish people coming out of Egypt. The Jewish people in Egypt, they sunk to the 49th level of Tumah. Had they been one more moment, they would have sunk to the point of no return. Okay? They were, had a slave mentality. They had a low morale. They thought they were never getting out of there. And all of a sudden, bam! When Hashem takes us out of Mitzrayim, not that Hashem didn't just take us out. We were born as a nation. We were born. We were born as a people. It was the Leda, the birth of Klal Yisrael. That's what the Arizal says. Yetzias Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, was the birth of the Jewish people. Comes along, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Chaver, and this is an idea that we've once mentioned before in the shul. Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Chaver was a student of the student of the Vilna Gon. One of the great students of the Vilna Gon was Rabbi Nachem Mendel Mishkalav. His student was Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Chaver. Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Chaver was a, a bucky, in the revealed parts of the Torah and in the hidden parts of the Torah. He was a very big Makubal, and he would very often explain the Vilna Gon's system of Kabbalah. But what he says now is uh, unbelievable. Okay? He writes this in his Hakdama, in his Haggadah. The name of his Haggadah is Haggadah Yad Mitzrayim. And the introduction to the Yad Mitzrayim is called Poseach Yad. He says like this. He says like this. Where were Klal Yisrael? Where did they go into Galist? Egypt. What's Egypt? Egypt is the darkest, dirtiest place in the world, right? Whenever the Torah wants to say, don't do like those Goyim, who do they use as an example? Don't act like the Egyptians. The Navi says about the Egyptians, Yechezkel says, Basar Chamorim Besaram. Yechezkel says they're donkeys. 
They're donkeys. That's what Yechezkel, not my words, that's what Yechezkel says. They're donkeys. Mitzrayim is called Ervas Haaretz. They're the nakedness of the land. There is nothing more impure, dirty, slimy, grimy than Egypt. Of all places in the world, why would God bring us down to Egypt? Very simple. It says Rabbi Yisrael If Ka Yisrael was born when God took us out of Mitzrayim, that means, so to speak, we were in the womb of the, of the country of Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim was the womb that, in which we developed, and finally when we were taken out, we were born from them. Okay? That means the, Mitzrayim, the country of Mitzrayim was the womb in which the Jewish people developed. What is a womb? It's a dark, slimy, grimy place. The darker, the slimier, the grimier, the better off the baby is. That's what a womb is. So if that's where the Jewish people were being developed as an embryo, as a baby, they needed to go to Ervas Haaretz, a dark, slimy place. That's why we went to Mitzrayim. That's what he says. Now listen to what he says. Pregnancy has three trimesters, right? The first trimester, second trimester, third trimester. So everybody knows, first trimester, most people, they look at, the, they don't even know the woman's pregnant. You can't even tell. Sometimes the woman doesn't even know she's pregnant. You know? She doesn't even know. She thinks, whatever, she had too many cookies or something. She doesn't know. <laughs> when Klai Yisrael went down to Mitzrayim, when they went down to Egypt, Mitz from afar, it didn't look like they were being enslaved. They really weren't. You had Yosef went down, with, and then the 12 Shvatim went down. They were high-ranking officials. They were honored. They didn't work. It was almost as if they weren't in pregnancy. They weren't being developed. It almost looked like they were in their homeland, but they weren't. They were in a foreign land. They were gerim. Then comes the second trimester. Second trimester, you know, things get a little tight. She, the, the mother puts on maternity. Things are getting a little cramped. When Yosef dies and the 12 brothers die, there is a new king. He started to enslave the Jewish people. That's trimester number two. But then Miriam was born. Remember we learned two weeks ago, Miriam comes from the word Vayimaru as Chayehem. Things became very bitter. For the last 86 years, we were tortured, we were harassed, they beat us, they worked us. That's the last trimester. It's painful for the mother to walk. It's painful to bend down. It hurts. She could barely do what she needs to do. Now, an inexperienced mother, what does she think? She thinks the, the more pain, the longer this thing is going to last, the more never-ending it is. But an experienced mother knows the more pain, the closer she is to the end. Same thing with Menei Yisrael The Egyptians beat us, they hit us, and they thought the more control we have over them, the more we hit them, the more we beat them, the longer we'll have them. It was just the opposite. The more they beat us, the closer we were to the end. Because really, we were supposed to be in Egypt 430 years. Why were we let out early? Because they worked us over time. So then, the truth is, the more they worked us, the less we had to be there, the closer we were to birth. Okay. Now listen to what, listen to what he says, and hold on to your socks. Comes the night of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Okay? That's when, that's when the water ba breaks, so to speak. And the, for seven days, we'll call it labor and delivery. Seven days of labor and delivery. And when did we leave? The sea split. The sea split? That's Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's, that's the birth. The last, the last, uh, the first day of Pesach, when we're leaving, that's the water breaks, you know, the baby's starting to come out. Rabbi, so listen to this. We say in the Haggadah, 
Ve'avarti bi'aretz Mitzrayim b'layla hazeh. Hashem says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on this night. I will smite every firstborn. I will kill all their gods. Ani Hashem, it's me. Right? The Haggadah Darshan is the following. I'll do it, no angel. I'll do it myself. In other words, God's saying, I'm not sending, um, I'm not sending Michal, I'm not sending Uriel, I'm not sending Raphael, I'm not sending Matachon, I'm not sending any of those angels. I'm taking care of the whole thing. Why? What's the big deal? God has th- hundreds of thousands of angels. They're doing things for Him all the time. Why couldn't He send them to take us out of Mitzrayim? The answer is very simple. Says Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Chavar. The Gemara tells us in Tainus, there are three keys that God maintains sole possession of that He doesn't give to an angel. The key of rain, the key of resurrection, and the key of childbirth. Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt, was the birth of the Jewish people. That's not a key God gives over to an angel. Since Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the birth of the Jewish people, that is something only Hashem could do. Hashem will not allow any angel to be involved in childbirth, and therefore Hashem... What do you mean? He's just taking the people out of exile. No, it was more than that. It was our birth. It was the birth of the Jewish people. It's at Mitzrayim. It's the moment that they left Egypt and got into Israel, or just left Egypt? Left Egypt. Left Egypt. But we're saying the labor and delivery left Egypt, but the baby didn't come out until the seventh day of, uh, seventh day of Pesach, when we crossed through the Yardin, crossed through the Yamsuf. Rabosai, the Gemara Nida tells us that any time the womb opens up, what is the automatic symptom? Ein psichat hakaver below dam. Below dam. The womb will never open up without blood coming out. Any time the womb opens up, blood automatically comes out. Which means like this, that if, you, if a woman has certain examinations, she's automatically a Nida. Why? Ein psichat hakaver below dam. What's the very first Makkah that God brings on the Egyptians? Dan. Why? That's the beginning of the opening of the womb. Mitzrayim is the womb of the Jewish people. The womb is beginning to open. What's the first Makkah? Makkah's Dan. Now listen to this. Take a look on your sheet. Number, number 18. It says by Makkah's Bechoros, there will be a big outcry in the land of Mitzrayim. Like that outcry, there never was. There will never be a scream like that. Why is the Torah stressing to us that there was never a scream like this scream and there never will be a scream like that? Who screams louder than anyone else? Right? A woman giving birth. There's no louder scream. What if she's having not a 7-pound baby? What if she's having an 11-pound baby? She's going to yell, right? What if she's having triplets? Oh my, right? You don't want to be in the room. But what if she's not having triplets? What if she's having 600,000 people? You could just imagine. That's why the Torah stresses that by Makas Bechoros, when the Jews were being born, Mitzrayim screamed, there will never be a scream like that, and there never was a scream like that. This is an unparalleled labor and delivery in the history of the world.
Never was there ever such a birth like that. Never was there ever such a birth like that. And we could add, I'd like to suggest, something amazing. If you look uh, over there, they even have it over there. The word Pesach stands for Pesach, the mouth that speaks. What does that mean? The Arizal says that when the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, not only were we enslaved, whatever this means, our faculty of speech was like enslaved. And when we were let out, our ability to speak was opened up in the proper way. And that's why we have a mitzvah of Sipor Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, relating the events of Mitzrayim, to uplift our ability to speak. Pesach means the mouth, Sach, that is now able to speak. Until then, it was like our mouth, there was a certain limitation on the goodness we could do with our mouth, and Pesach redeemed our ability to speak. Fits in beautifully to what we're saying. Because what does the Gemara say in Nida? The Gemara says, What is a baby like in its mother's womb? Piv sasam, its mouth is sealed up. Kiven shanolad, niftach hasasam. As soon as it wakes up, as soon as it's born, the, that, the mouth is opened up. So if in Mitzrayim we were like a, an embryo, we're like a baby in its mother's womb, of course our mouth is sealed. We, were, we didn't have. We lost the uh, proper faculty of speech. We're born, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the mouth is opened up. That's why, we are, that's why Pesach is called Pesach. Now we're able to talk. Pesach is uh, called, uh, what is it? Pe, the mouth, Sach, Sicha, the, the mouth that is able to talk. So we're learning now is that the night of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, night of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is when we were, began to be born and it came to its culmination, Kriyas Yamsov. <clears throat> now listen to this. You want to know why we can't eat chametz? Why we're allowed to eat chametz the whole year? Only Pesach we're allowed to eat chametz? You have a ten-year-old kid. So what do you do? Once in a while you give it, you give it some pizza, some hot dogs. Right? What's going to happen to the kid once in a while? He has something that's not healthy, right? You give it, you let him drink Coca-Cola. You ever, you know, any parent will allow his baby to drink Coca-Cola? Child abuse, right? Who, who in the right mind would let a newborn baby drink Coca-Cola? It'd be crazy, right? Everything the baby drinks has to be sterile, has to be completely pure and sterilized. Why? The baby is vulnerable, he's fragile, his systems are not developed yet. The whole year, the whole year, we can have a little Yetzirah. Why? A little Yetzirah is necessary. Right? Chaim quoted the Gemara, says in Yuma, that um, there was... In the olden days, in the, times of the, in the times of Chazal, there was great desire to serve idols, a great pull, there was a great passion to serve idols. And the Chachamim saw it was such a great pull that it was almost uncontrollable, so they prayed to abolish the desire for idolatry. And, and Hashem accepted it. So they said, hey, once the goings are well, once things are, Hashem's listening to our tefillos, let's daven to destroy the Yetzirah. So they daven, Hashem said, fine. The Gemara says the world fell apart. Nobody had children. The chickens stopped laying eggs. You need to have some urges. There are certain urges that are necessary in this world. Without them, the world can't go. During the year, we're healthy. You learn Torah. You do the mitzvot. You need a little Yetzirah. Uh, if somebody doesn't have a desire to eat, so be a skeleton. You need to want to eat. You discipline yourself. You control yourself. There are certain ur- urges are important, but you need to discipline. You need to put them in control. But that's the whole year. But Pesach is when we're born. 
Pesach were like a newborn baby. That's the Leda, the birth of the Jewish people. When, uh, when you're born, everything you eat has to be perfectly sterile. Everything has to be completely clean of Yetzirah. There can't be any vestige of Yetzirah. The first seven days of Pesach, that's the Leda, that's the birth. Even a little microscopic yeast, a little microscopic Yetzirah, we can't tolerate. Our systems are not ready to handle that. So Pesach is the time of our birth. And therefore, we stay away, not just from big, from even a small amount of Yetzirah. That's why the whole year we could eat chametz. Pesach, we stay away from chametz. Okay. Now, what exactly does it mean that on Pesach we were born? We weren't born. I mean, we were in the world. We were around, we had our own children. Exactly what does it mean we were born? It means we were born as a nation of Ovdeh Hashem. We, be, we were born as servants of Hashem. Until then, we were just a people. We had certain good things to do, but now we had a new identity. We had an identity of Ovdeh Hashem. We were born as Ovdeh Hashem. Very interesting. You know, Ashkenazim, the night of the Seder, we wear a kittel, right? Or we wear the white, the white garment, the white... Uh, Robe. You have that? Something like that. White. What's the Indian of the kittel? Why do we wear a kittel? So Rabbi Vram Shor suggests in his Haggadah that remember we learned a long time ago, a couple of months ago, that what did Moshe Rabbeinu wear when he did the Avodah the first seven days in the Beis HaMikdash? What? A beged lavan she'en bo himra. A white garment that had no hem. Why? Because he was inaugurating the service of the Beis HaMikdash. That was the Chinuch. That was the inauguration of the Beis HaMikdash. Pesach. Similar to that, right? We, we were talking about Adam, that Adam Rishon wore the Big Day Kahuna, yeah. right? And we said Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need the Big Day Kahuna. That was right? Remember that? Okay. But Pesach is a time when we're born, we're inaugurating ourselves as Ovdeh Hashem. This is just like when Moshe Rabbeinu inaugurated the Mishkan, he wore this white garment to inaugurate the service of the Mishkan. We inaugurate our service of the Mishkan by, of, of, uh, our service of Hashem by wearing the kittel. Okay. But let's get a little bit more precise. Exactly when were the Jewish people born? When was the moment that everyone shouted, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, right? When the sea split. When the sea split. If you notice, this is something that hit me last year. I decided one Marava, you know, I'm really going to focus on the meaning of the words. And if you concentrate on the Marav, just the simple meaning of the words, you'll see something incredible. Whenever we talk about Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the sea, the Jewish people are always referred to as Banim. Umavir Banov Ben Gizre Yamsuf. He crossed his sons through the splits of the Yamsuf. Malchuscha ra'u banecha. Your sons saw your malchus. Vira'u vanov gvuraso shibuchu v'hodulishmo. Whenever the davening talks about Kriyas Yamsuf in three places, we're called banim. Why? What, what happened? What happened? Chsam Sofer says something very interesting. When Hashem... The night of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, when God was killing all the firstborn Egyptians and jumping over our houses, what did God announce? God said, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. 
the Jewish people are now my servants. They're my slaves. In other words, if God is jumping over our houses and saving our lives, we're indentured to Him, we're indebted to Him. We thereby become the slaves of Hashem. Okay? The first night of Pesach, when God saved us, we were only on the level of God's slaves. You know something in the Rosh Hashanah davening, we say, Im kebanim, im ka'avadim. Are we like your children? Are we like your slaves? We have a certain dual relationship with God. We are His slaves, He's our master, but we're also His children and He's our father. At what point in time? When did Klal Yisrael reach the level of banim lamakom? When did we become banim Tashem? Says the Chsam Sofer, when the sea split. When the sea split, we became banim lamakom. The beginning of Pesach, we're only avadim Tashem. God jumped over our houses, He says, Kili b'nei Yisrael avadim. When the sea split, we became banim lamakom. That's why we say, Umavir banov ben Yamsuf. We became Banim when the sea split. Why? Why? No way back. Why? Why did we become Banim then? Because of what we're saying, it fits in very nicely. Because when were Klai Yisrael born? Kriyasi Yamsuf. When a child is born, by definition, it creates a relationship. What's a relationship? Child and parent. So if if Mitzrayim was the labor and delivery of the Jewish people, and we were born when the sea split, that means that's the point in our history we became Banim Lamakom. Banim Lamakom. Incredible. By the way, when Kaisal left Mitzrayim, it says, God took out the army of Hashem from Mitzrayim. Which means on the first day, we were just God's army. We were His servants. We, have not, we had not reached the level of Banim Lamakom. It's only when the sea split we became Banim. Why? That's when we were born. Very interesting. Rashi tells us on the seventh day, the Mitzrayim were chasing us on one end, the sea was on the other end. Look carefully at Rashi. Rashi says, Mashallah, Doma. You know what this is like? You have a parent who's walking with his kid, and he has the kid in front of him, all of a sudden a bandit comes from in front, the father puts him behind. Then, a wild animal comes from behind, the father puts him in front. They both come at the same time, God puts him on his, um, the father puts the kid on the shoulder. Says Rashi the same thing. The seventh day, the Egyptians were coming on one end, the sea was coming on the other end. God said, you'll rest on me, vayas Hashem, God brought us a cloud, it sort of lifted us up. Zehu shenemar va'anochi tergalti la'afrayim. Rashi says, God brought us like a child. When did that happen? The seventh day. The seventh day is when Rashi says, it was like a father taking his child. Why the seventh day? That's when we're born. When you're born, that creates a new relationship, parent and child. Since, since then, we never called different roles. Ah, so very important. There's a machlokas in the Gemara. Are Kal Yisrael always considered Banim Lamakom? Or only when they do the will of God are they called Banim Lamakom? It's a machlokas between Reb Yehuda and Rev Meir. Whenever I think of that, I always laugh. I have a Yehuda and a Meir, you know, they're always arguing in the Gemara. So they have precedent. <laughs> you have machlokas between Reb Yehuda and Rev Meir. Reb Yehuda says, only when they do the will of Hashem they're called Banim. One second. Let me make sure I have this right. No, yeah. Rav Meir says, doesn't matter. They're called Banim no matter what. Okay? Now, it's very interesting. 
there's a rule in the Gemara in Erev and Daf Memvav that whenever you have a machlokis between Rabbi Huda and Rav Meir, you always follow Rabbi Huda. And yet the Rajba says that this is the one exception. That even though Rav Meir says we're always considered Banim and we usually don't pass them like Rav Meir, in this case we pass them like Rav Meir. That we're always called Banim. No matter what. You know why? Because Rav Meir has a proof from a Pasuk in the Tanakh. It says, Zera Mireim Banim Mashchisim. Even when we're corrupt, we're still Banim. Asks Rav Avadya Yosef, but what do you mean? The Gemara says, there's a rule. We always paskin like Rabbi Huda. So how could, we, how could this be an exception? Says Rabbi Vadya, there's a different rule. We paskin like Rabbi, Rabbi Huda over Rabbi Meir, but we paskin like Rabbi Akiva over Rabbi Huda. And Rabbi Akiva's opinion in many places in Chazal is that we're always called Banim. So even though we paskin like Rabbi Huda over Rabbi Meir, we paskin like Rabbi Akiva over Rabbi Huda. Okay. So, so who is the mother? Yisai? <laughs> no, they're just like the surrogate mother. No, but Hashem, <laughs> they're the womb. They're the beta. They're the belly. Okay. Very important. Very important. Our sages tell us there's a pasuk in Shir Hashirim, right? Torah zahav im nekudos hakesef. The Gemara, the Chazal say like this: Gedola hosa bizas hayam yoser mi bizas mitzrayim. We know the Jewish people took wealth from the Egyptians two times. One time by, by, uh, when we left, we borrowed all their gold and silver. But that was nothing compared to when they chased after us into the sea. It says the Egyptians took all of their wealth into the sea after us, and then the sea washed out all of their wealth, and it washed it ashore, and the Jews took all their wealth. I saw this... Uh, yeah, you ever see that? Yeah, but when I'm thinking about it, which soldier takes his wealth with him? I don't remember. There's a certain reason why they took it. Anyone remember? There's a reason why they took their wealth to the sea. I have to look it up. I don't remember exactly why. There's a reason they took. So Chazal tells Yosar Hoysa Bizas Bizas Hayam Yosar Bizas What the wealth they took out of the sea was greater than the wealth they took out of Mitzrayim. What's Chazal saying? They're just saying we cashed in more by the sea than we cashed in when we left Egypt. But according to what we're saying, there's a deeper meaning. The spiritual wealth they took out of the sea was a lot greater than the wealth they took out of Mitzrayim. When they left Mitzrayim, they took out the wealth that now they were avadim to Hashem, they were slaves to Hashem. But they took out a much greater spiritual wealth when, the, when they left the sea. What? They became banim lamakom. Banim is adifa me'avadim. It's a much greater spiritual wealth. That's what it means. Yoser gedola hosa bizas hayam yoser mi bizas Mitzrayim. That for, for, for women, for banot. Are they included or are they not included? In what? Banot. You said discrimination. Right? No, no, banim lamakam is, um, women are also banim lamakam. Banim lamakam. When you talk to boys and girls together, they're called banim. Yeah, even... Yeah, in Hebrew, you do, you're supposed yeah. to do that. But before you say that, you said, I apologize for the... <laughs> I'm saying on the names. <laughs> okay, so, we're just, so what we're saying now is, Pesach is the time that we are born. We're inaugurating ourselves as being servants of Hashem. We're inaugurating ourselves as being Banim Lamakom. That's the beginning. It's very interesting. The question of the Manishtana, why on Pesach we only eat, cha, only eat matzah as opposed to all other nights of the year we eat chametz and matzah. The Abar Benel says, well, what, all other nights we eat chametz and matzah? We don't usually eat matzah. Abar Benel says, oh, this is, no, that's not the meaning of the question. The meaning of the question is like this. There's something called the Karben Toda. A, a offering of thanksgiving. Okay? 
What kind of bread came along with the carbon toda? Chalos lechem, chalos matzos. You brought chametz and matzah with the carbon toda. Okay? When the Jews left Mitzrayim, they were required to bring a carbon toda for all reasons. Right? They crossed the sea. Someone who crosses the sea has to bring a carbon toda. They crossed the desert. Someone who crosses the desert has to bring a carbon toda. They were let out of jail. Someone who was let out of jail has to bring a carbon toda. They were healed. They fell into all four categories. So the Chassam Sofer, I'm sorry, the Abarbanel says, the question is, why is it then? The carbon Pesach presumably was a carbon toda. It's an offering of thanksgiving. Why then did it consist only of matzah? A normal carbon toda consisted only of, consists of chametz and matzah. So why this carbon toda is only matzah? That's the question on the Manashtana. Not why all other nights do we eat chametz and matzah and tonight matzah. No, it's much deeper. Whenever we bring a carbon toda, it's chametz and matzah. And this carbon toda is only matzah. So Chassam Sofer says, good question. What's the answer? The answer is, the carbon Pesach is not a carbon toda. You know what kind of carbon it is? It's a carbon miluim. It's a carbon that's brought similar to the carbon that Klaisa brought when they inaugurated the Mishkan. You know what kind of carbon that was? That was only chalos matzos. It was only matzah. The carbon Pesach is the carbon that inaugurates our nation as Ovdeh Hashem, as Banim Lamakom. It's our birth. That's when our nation began. And therefore it's a carbon, like the carbon Miluim, that is only Matzah. Chassam Sofra brings down, as well as the Kaf Achayim, that we have a tradition that the third Beis HaMikdash will be built on Pesach. The only thing is, we will not be able to inaugurate it on Pesach. Because Ein Ma'arvin Simcha Simcha, you can't mix two Simchas together. We will push off, the, it will be built on Pesach, and the seven last days of Nisan we will celebrate the Chinuch of the Bayesh Lishi. So we should be Zocha, that in the Zchus of our inaugurating ourselves as Ovdei Hashem on the Yom Tov of Pesach, it's our beginning as a nation of Avdei Hashem, Banim Lamakom, we're inaugurating our own Avoda, we should be Zocha to inaugurate, Merz Hashem, the third base HaMikdash, Hera Amen. Amen. Thank you.